Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Sometimes a team has to play a doubleheader. Every now and again, it plays a triple header. But what about a quintuple header? And what if you had to play those games in swampy, 95-degree St. Louis summer heat? The Matthews Dickey Knights did just that in 1977. The elite semi-pro team was in pursuit of a championship, but it had lost to the Chicago Pirates the day before. To take the $1,000 prize purse, it needed to win back to back to back to back to back games that July 4th. And so the players set out to do just that. That remarkable lineup of games was the subject of a recent Riverfront Times cover story by veteran St. Louis journalist Richard Weiss. And two of his subjects join us today to remember the event. One of them is Martin Luther Matthews. He's the co-founder of the Matthews Dickey Boys and Girls Club, the unofficial leader slash mentor slash coach of the team, and a 95-year-old St. Louis baseball legend. So Mr. Matthews, it's an honor to have you here. Well, Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And we're also joined by Tom Sullivan. He was a 22-year-old player that day, and today he's the interim president and CEO of the Matthews Dickey Boys and Girls Club. Tom, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Tom, I understand you were one of the youngest players who was on the team that did this quintuple header. Um, Can you tell us a little bit, what do you know about how the team got its start in the first place? Well, from what I understand, this was before my time, but Matthew Sticky was a sponsor of a team that started with Mr. Matthews. A group of children used to stand on his porch and ask him to uh, coach their team, and he was uh, pretty much relentless in saying no, but eventually he had to give in, and once he gave in, history started. Uh, The children were ecstatic. They worked real hard. They probably had some of the worst uniforms ever around as young kids, but Mr. Matthews was more intent to play, to teach them to play baseball, if you will. And so eventually they got a chance to compete. They didn't look the way they wanted to look, but they played the way they needed to play. Hmm. And slowly but surely he built a very good baseball team that turned into a group of young men that were mentors to other young men and eventually becoming professionals, uh, employees, and citizens of this great community. Mr. Matthews, uh, Tom paints this vivid picture of, of people staking out your front steps, trying to talk you into coaching them. What led them to, to your house um, and, and wanting you to be their coach? Well, I'd stay with a friend that they actually were their coach, and he sent them over to my house. I was right around the corner for them. They came to my house wanting me to be their coach. So what can I say? The man who let me stay with him for almost for nothing and then wanted me to help him out with a group of outstanding young men. Hmm. What, what had drawn you to baseball in the first place? Well, drawn me to baseball in the first place because it actually was part of the Constitution, we the people. So... We win and we lose, so therefore I always had to constitute Bible and Constitution, so it, it drove me to that baseball was always something to draw people together and become we the people. Hmm. So baseball is so important to both of you, and this game, July 1977, uh, such a remarkable series of games. Tom, that was now 43 years ago. How vivid are your memories of that day? Oh, bright 
and beautiful. And I, I remember clearly the time that the team come from Chicago and put a weapon on us uh, that we never experienced. It's one thing to lose a ball game 13 to 1. You just chalk it up and you go on. But when you lose a, a ball game by one or two runs, you start asking yourself, what could you have done differently or right uh, to make this uh, a different outcome? This team come from Chicago, and they were a group of cocky young men that could really, really, really play defense. And they showed us something that we didn't weren't used to experiencing at the time, where they would whip double play after double play on us. And I said to say, uh, we had about six speedsters in our lineup, and everybody had a little pop in their bat uh, to uh, produce the gap shooters, but uh, that didn't work that day. And so they they came out, they beat us handedly. But the mistake that they made is once they beat us, they were not good winners. <laughs> and that's one of the things that Matthew Dickey teaches all of his youth is how to be good winners. Not good losers, but just good winners. And with that comes respect, restraint, and responsibility. Uh, we have to respect the game. We have to restrain ourselves from adversity. And we have a responsibility to ourselves and to the game. And so with them being such bad winners by bragging, being braggadocious in front of us, mm. it kinda it kinda set the pace and it set the the bar at a higher level for us that we needed to show them just who we were. Hmm. So they were just talking some trash after the game that put some fire into your bellies. Oh, absolutely. And and tell me, set the scene for us. You had this this devastating loss on July 3rd to these guys who, who were bragging about it. What was at stake in this tournament? Well, for young people like myself, what was at stake is just the, the game itself. But there was a $1,000 pot for mm-hmm. the teams, and that is what they were competing for. These teams come from all over the regions, as far as Tennessee, as far as Chicago, and then some local teams. It was a very lustrous tournament. It filled the public parks in a way that we weren't used to, where everybody could have a good time on a 4th of July weekend. And so everybody in our community who looked up to us uh, was there to watch, and we also had to display ourselves the way that we were taught. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot at stake. So there was a lot at stake here. And am I right in, in recalling this was a, a tournament particularly for African-American uh, teams? The tournament was called an Afro-American tournament. But I, I must say our team had maybe four or five uh, Caucasians on the team also. But uh, predominantly it was all blacks that were playing in this tournament. Okay. And so you lost that first game on July 3rd. Uh, you were able to go to bed that night. You knew you were coming back the next day and that you'd have to win five games. That that must have seemed like just an impossible feat at that point. I don't know if I remember going to bed that night. Hmm. Uh, it was something that really, really burned in our stomachs, if you will, in our, and, and was like a claw in our belly. But I do remember walking up to the field, and we just kept one game at a time in front of us. Hmm. You can't look. You can't look and say, "Well, we have to win five. We have to win this one." And we were very, very committed to winning this first one. You win the first one, then win the second one, 
and we just go on and on and on until we win the last one. Hmm. Now, Mr. Matthews, on that July 4th, I understand you had to leave partway through to go to your job as a doorman. What do you remember about those first two wins you were able to watch that afternoon before you had to leave? What I remember about that is the determination of these young men. They were determined that they were going to win. And that's why that we had taught of determination. And therefore, that's what I remember when I left to go to 625 South Skanker, I said, these guys will win because they're determined. Hmm. And on the subject of that determination, one of the details that shocked me the most in the Riverfront Times story, Tom, you talked about how you wore woolly sleeves, even though it was 95 degrees. Am I right in, in picturing you almost wearing a sweater under your uniform? Well, actually, I guess today you would term it as a sweater. It was made of complete wool. And it, it helps you to perspire if you need to be able to be helped at 95 degrees. But uh, the, good, the great thing about it to me is, is how I was raised to play the ball game is that when you're running and you're totally wet, uh, you're going to get a nice cool breeze. And that was very important to me as far as keeping fluids on my body and in my body. And it was, it was great for me. Wow, so this was kind of your signature. Have you gotten younger players today to sign on to these woolly sleeves? No, they they there's a different ball player today. Yeah, and, and honestly, like I can't blame cool. them. I mean, this is it's such an unusual choice, but it worked for you. You got through all five of those games. It worked for me, yes. So tell me, of these five games, and I don't want to give anything away, but going back 43 years, you guys won all five. Which game was the most challenging in that set? The most challenging game was the last game. Uh, and that's just because uh, we finally woke the Pirates up. They, they sat and watched us play five ball games. And two, one of the teams we just annihilated, but all the other games were very close. But once we won that first one, uh, we pretty much... Uh, the way we explained it, we had our tails curled by then, mm-hmm. and uh, nothing, nothing really could stop us. Uh, we had our own uh, faith in our own hands, and so we just went on and said, okay, let's take this one, let's take that one. But the last game was the challenge because we had the top pitcher on their team. We had one of our pitchers on our team, and we, uh, but they realized now that they were in a ballpark that that involved a ball game in our city and we weren't going to go away easily and so uh, it was just a lot of pitching and defense in this ball game and uh, we overcame all the adversities that were necessary to win two to nothing Two to nothing for that final game. Now, Mr. Matthews, you were there at your job. I understand this was about 2.30 in the morning by the time this fifth game finally wrapped. How did you, Mr. Matthews, find out that this team had had won the championship? They called me because I was by the phone. They called me because they had determination and knew that I was was wanting to know why they come out. So they called me and they told me they won, they won, and they were excited and hollering and racing around the park and so it made me feel good made you feel good was it hard to even keep on working after that you must have wanted to just go and join in the victory pile yes i did i sat there at 625 i was celebrating there so yeah, all the people with the elder people didn't bid but i was still circulating there 
around there in, in different rooms and everything. Mm -hmm. I was excited because what we have done, impossible. Going back to that 1977 season, I get the chills just thinking of, of your team winning these these back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back games. Have you ever had a night season like that one? No, we haven't. Uh, that was that was very, very special. You had five, six guys that played five ball games, And those guys were Michael Aikens, Mike Ferguson, Gary Glasscock, Doug Pipes, Barry Sheldon, and myself. And so those, you know, that's something that you just can't get people to do today. A doubleheader is really tough. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, that was very challenging. And I don't think anything like that will happen again because it takes a tremendous amount of perseverance. It takes a, a tremendous amount of uh, bravery. And it takes a, a, a total commitment of the team Whereas if someone gets hurt or gets sore or something, someone has to step up. And it's, it's, it was, when we look back at it, it's very surprising that we only did this with about four or five pitchers. Yeah, that's you know, one, remarkable. Yes, one or two of them uh, completed the uh, whole game, but then there's two or three others that pitched two games. You know, in other words, they came in relief. You know, when you talk about Billy Westbrook, so you talk about Rick Plate. David Ostapowicz, John Bernard, Clarence Deloach, and Bob Klostermeyer, all those guys, they, they did a great job. So we're proud of each other. And the one thing about the Knights uh, that I recall more than anything else, we were the true concept of a team. We didn't argue about it's my turn, it's his turn, or any of that. Uh, we were just sitting waiting for our call to come and produce and we learn through that that if you sit around moping you will lose your opportunity for success when it slaps you in the face hmm. mr matthews of, of the many teams you've worked with over the years does that 1977 team stand out in your mind yes especially with a young man that knowing how he, he actually picked off a man had a winning run on base, and uh, and he was able to pick it off. But with a catcher and he put together a pickoff there, the pickoff and the ball game over. That probably was the most exciting in my life, even though I wasn't there. But I could see them doing that. There, so it had to be we the people and believing in each other. The tying and winning run on base, and the best hitter to play. And you got to figure out not let him hit the ball because he was the best hitter and everything had the best run on that. Everything was there, but he was able to, yeah, I mean, Billy Westbrooks, and, you know, he was one of those great pitchers too, but he, we had another pitcher named John Bernard who was in a relief and was able to put a put a sign in with Curtis Edwards and Curtis was one of the greatest catchers of all time hmm. that was able to pick the guy off. These players are still so memorable in your mind so many decades later. It's, it's amazing to hear. We're talking with Martin Luther Matthews, the co-founder of the Matthews Dickey Boys and Girls Club. We're also talking with Tom Sullivan, now the interim president and CEO of the club.
He was a 22-year-old player back in 1977 uh, when the Matthews Dickey Knights played a quintuple header, managed to win the whole championship. And Tom, this tournament, as you mentioned earlier, this came with a $1,000 prize. So where did that money go once you guys won the whole thing? From what I understand, that money went from the person that ran the tournament to one of our coaches, Frank Robinson, who practically ran it to a, a store that supported us wholeheartedly by the name of John, Johnny Max. And it, was, it, it gave us an opportunity to pay off uniforms that uh, we were using. And so um, that's what it was for. So you did. We didn't know that. You didn't know that. These these uniforms had been purchased on credit. Is that is that right? Yes. Being one of the young guys, I didn't know that. I, my my thing uh, when I would come to the field is I like baseball. And so everything else stayed away from me because I kept it away from me. I concentrated on the game itself. But I learned quickly that the team was pretty much with Mr. Matthews' support. Sometimes they were also supposed to be self-efficient, self-funding. And for the most part, we did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. So, Mr. Matthews, these these uniforms, I understand that the Knights had been pestering you about how they needed uniforms. You made it happen. How were you able to persuade this store to sell you these uniforms on, on credit? Well, you know, I built a reputation in the community and faced with Bob, Bob Russell and to Johnny Magpoles was our supporters. So they believed in me. Once we actually got in that tournament and we wanted to not be good we wanted to look good so therefore we were able to get the uniforms of him and said we will pay you later we didn't know that we was going to win that whole game that day but we had thinking in our life that we could do anything <laughs> that young people could do anything because they had great determination so therefore we was able to do that and the man who actually sold the uniform we're at the ball game. We didn't know it, but he was at the ball game that night, waiting on us to to win the money. He wanted his money back, huh? And we were able to take it out of in the morning when he over Frank Robinson had to check taking it out to him and the money. Do you ever think what might have happened if you hadn't won that tournament? A thousand dollars is a lot of money, and was even more in the seventies. About like about a hundred thousand dollars is back this time, man. And therefore, everybody was waiting. And the man who sold the uniform, he was there, too. He was waiting to see if we was going to win. So that we, we were able to do that. Well, it's a, it's a good thing you won. You wouldn't want to be in arrears for that. Um, what a happy ending on this. But it really wasn't the hap- It wasn't the ending there. Um, and that's because the Matthews Dickey Boys and Girls Club is really about so much more than baseball. And, and Tom, I'm, I'm curious to hear you explain um, just what an impact it's made on your life. Well, I grew up in St. Louis at Summer High School, and then I went to St. Louis University and played baseball there. And in between those two school institutions, I met Mr. Matthews, and I was able to uh, get acquainted with Matthews Dickey Boys and Girls Club. And I say this to say that if uh, for Matthews Dickey, it saves a tremendous amount of children's lives. You don't have to be in need uh, of uh, income or anything of the sort. It's just that sometimes you need a friend, you need relativity, and Matthew Sticky was there for me for that. And being 
uh, that Matthew Stickey was there for me. I was able to acquire some some work at Matthew Stickey in 1973. I've been there ever since. Mr. Matthews has uh, uh, did his best to help me get other jobs, namely one at Anheuser-Busch, but I had to make a choice. Do I go to Anheuser-Busch or do I stay with Matthew Stickey? I had that option. And I'm so happy and thrilled that I was able to have that option because I chose to stay with Matthew Stickey, where I'm now currently the interim CEO of Matthew Stickey Boys and Girls Club. Hmm. With that being said, Matthew Stickey has done a tremendous amount for the city of St. Louis in baseball, football, basketball, and many other sports. But along with that, it's done great jobs in education. Uh, it, we really accomplish our mission, which is uh, serving physically active, where educated young people uh, with families at the center of our efforts. That is our mission. And so when you think about athletics, they are physically capable. When you think about education, we do some things with, with STEM and, and uh, with the math, the science, and reading, and those type of things. And when you talk about families, we keep the whole family together. We do everything we can to serve them, whether it be by helping them with food during this pandemic or helping them with the utilities during this pandemic. And we've been very successful. I'm so proud to be a part of Matthews Dickey Boys and Girls Club, and I'm happy about that day that Mr. Matthews walked on a baseball field and hit fungos with me. Couldn't have been a better reward uh, for me just living in the city than to meet someone as great as Mr. Matthews, who's given his entire life, along with Hubert Dickey Valentine, to serve children of the community. Mr. Matthews, that, that's quite a testimonial there from Tom Sullivan. What does it feel like to hear him say those words? Well, I'm sure that you heard, uh, what's the name talk? I mean, he's a young man, but he actually give up a lot in order to be with Matthew Dickey. And he was along with uh, a young man by the name of Osbis, who was the manager, Ray Turner, who was a pitcher, John Benoit was a pitcher, Garland Goodwood was a, a first baseman, one of the greatest hitters, and Kurt Ed was the greatest catcher of all time. And that, so therefore these people there was great it led me to do all the things I did in my life. I wouldn't give it up for nothing because I had gave my life to see that these young people was actually in a position to be a, a role model for others. Well, it's it's a, such a remarkable legacy. And, and Tom, I want to end going back to that game, July 4th, 1977. I just said game. I should have said games. Five games, back to back to back to back to back. For people who are listening today and thinking, man, I would never play a quintuple header, much less do it in woolly sleeves, what would you want them to take away from that experience that the Knights had those 43 years ago? What I would want them to take away from it is that uh, in life you have to deal with adversity, but you can deal with anything, you can accomplish anything if you put your mind to it and you work real hard at it. That's the most important thing. When we walked on that field, uh, we, like I say, we wanted to take the game one at a time, but we did not come there to lose. You should never, ever go anywhere to lose. You should go to be successful and win. And that's what I take away from it. Persevere and be determined 
and everything will be okay. Well, Tom Sullivan, Interim President and CEO of the Matthews Dickey Boys and Girls Club, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Well, I thank you, and I just hope that everyone will look to support Matthew Dickey as much as you can, because we're right now on October 16, 2020, at 6 p.m., we're going to have our gala, and we're looking forward to everyone joining in with us. They can go to that website, MatthewsDickey.com, or they can go to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and support this fine organization, the legacy that Mr. Marnell Matthews and Hubert Dickey Valentine has created and help us to keep this ball rolling. That again is MatthewsDickey.com. We want to encourage you to get the uh, the information that Tom is highlighting there. And I also want to thank uh, the one and only Martin Luther Matthews, Mr. Matthews, the co-founder of the Matthews Dickey Boys and Girls Club for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Matthews. Tom, it's an honor for, to be here talking to you on the phone because you were sitting in the in the car with me when we were leaving that night. Bridge. Tears in your eyes because you didn't want to go there. You want to stay at Matthew D. Thank you for making that choice. Thank you both again. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.